So if you don't know, my name is Jono, and I get to be one of the uh, one of a, one of the members of this church who gets an opportunity to lead a small group and be a part of the fellowship here. Um, you know, I often have been in churches. Well, first off, let me say this: I got a call from Rick last night about let's just say six o'clock, and Rick said, "Hey, you ready to go tomorrow?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I think so." He goes, "By the way, we're doing baptisms." I'm like, "Oh, awesome!" And you know, it was awesome. You know, let's give it. A, come on, this is Jesus working, right? Um, you can't make this stuff up. And the best part about this is I, I've sat in churches where they've done baptisms and, and the, the, the preacher, the teacher was like, you know, I've got a whole message laid out, but that was pretty much just the gospel presentation. I mean, it's people's lives that, that were radically saved and now they're moving forward in their, in their path of obedience to get baptized and, and praise God. Um, so listen, so last week I wasn't here, but... Um, but my wife calls me. I was, I was traveling, which I'll get to in just a second. But my wife calls me. She says, wow, Ken, Ken Freeman spoke last week, which, which I knew he was going to speak. And she said, you would not believe what happened. And I said, well, all I know is this. I know that Ken was supposed to come. He was supposed to be speaking in the schools. And then uh, his flight got canceled. And then his next flight got canceled. And then his next flight got canceled. And, but yet, Ken um, felt compelled to still make it here, even though he couldn't do the uh, Friday event in the schools, and I may be saying things you all know if you were here last week, but um, I thought, man, that's powerful. So, so my wife goes, yeah, that's all great, but you don't know what happened is people came forward, lives were changed, you need to watch this sermon. And so, um, so I had the privilege of doing that. I'm sitting in a hotel room about midnight at night, uh, can't sleep because of time change, and I'm, I'm watching Ken Freeman speak, and I'm listening to this, and his four points that he, he made were these, you know, that I wrote down. I said, we, you know, he said, we have to admit sin. We only have one love. We're overcomers, and we have to obey God or abide in the word. And I feel like that was so, I, I didn't know what he was going to speak on, but as, I, as I'm listening to the sermon, as I'm kind of trying to unpack it, I was also, you know, trying to focus on what's going on. I'm going, God, you're so much bigger than I ever give you credit for because you've completely, in my mind, dovetailed what you've put on my heart uh, to what Ken spoke on. So where was I? Uh, I wasn't here. I was in, I was in Vegas. Uh, I was at a big show called SEMA. So if you know what SEMA is, if you're in Argo, there you go. There's one person who knows. SEMA is a massive car show in Vegas. It's about 170,000 people flock to a city that is already full of tourists, and you just see way too many things. I walked 10 miles one day on the showroom floor seeing things. It was a uh, it was a lot. But uh, as I'm there, you know, there's a saying that goes for Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And it kind of encapsulates so much of that city. So much of that city is just is what you expect. It, it's, it's full of sin. Yet as I'm looking at the window, I see God's beautiful creation. You've got, you've got mountains to your one side. You've got mountains to the next side. You've got like the Bellagio and the Caesar, Caesar's, Caesar's Palace. And these hotels you've seen in movies and that you've seen on the Strip. And it's absolutely beautiful. But as you walk down, you're like, man, this place is... This place is just full of sin. It kind of reminds you a little bit of what, what Rick talked about with Corinth. You know, just it's just it's in front of your face. It's not even trying to hide it. And uh, you know, I, I was I was saddened by it. And as I was getting ready to meet, we had a meeting one night at about eight o'clock at night. And I'm trying to call one of my guys who's there with me, and he's not picking up. I'm like, what's going on? He knows where to meet, so we get there. When we get there, I go, Vince. Now maybe some of you got, know a guy named Vince Edivan. He actually was a, a a guy that goes used to go to church with me, and he's from this town. He goes. I go, Vince, what were you doing, man? He goes, dude, I was in an Uber, and I had an amazing conversation. I said, let's talk about it. He goes, my Uber driver was a pastor. I said, here? He goes, yeah. He, this is like he's co-vocational. He's doing two things. He's, 
He's planted three or four house churches, and they're flourishing, but yet he ubers because he gets to present the gospel to people on the street and on the strip. I'm like, that's cool. And then as we're having this conversation, I have my buddy from Alabama come up, and he goes, what was his name? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a God thing. It wasn't the same guy. But what he said is, I've got four guys who, we, who my church is sponsoring as pastors that are doing church plants in Vegas. And I'm like, you know, that's amazing. I started looking it up, and there are so many churches that are operating in the city. And I said, man, I'm really glad I live in, in the Fredericksburg, Caroline, Pennsylvania region, because you know what? It's not like this. You know, we're comfortable. We've got God's moving. And, and, and then I stepped back, and for a moment in time, I realized, oh, my gosh, sin is here. The lifestyles are here. We just do a really good job of masking it. We do a really good job of hiding it from the world. We do a great job of going, I can be good if you go to church for two hours and maybe an hour in small group. And then the only thing different between here and Vegas is we do a really good job of hiding it. And so I thought, some of that's me because I like to be comfortable and I like to just sit there and not engage with those people. And I've set up my perimeters and my spheres of influence and it's just something that, that I need to remind, be reminded that that I need to be preaching the gospel wherever I am, and not just in a place like Vegas, but in a place like Fredericksburg, a place like Caroline County. And so as I do this, I just want to say a couple of things before I start going for the rest of the sermon is this. I already got reminded twice that we had baptism. If I start to go quick, it's just because I've got a couple of guys looking at me. <laughs> but, I'm gonna, but I already wrote down my sermon, so we're going to go for it. <laughs> um, so one thing that I've said this every time I've had a chance to speak is that when... Um, in our small group, we like to remind ourselves of, of a key principle that's often overlooked and sometimes not taught because it's not, it's not always good, but it is the best news possible. Because it's, just, it's the question is, we have to remind ourselves, what is the gospel? See, it is, it is actually the most important question you're going to ever ask yourself. The gospel literally means the good news. See, it's the absolute truth. But in order to have good news, you have to have bad news, right? You just can't have the good news without the bad news. So we're going to start with, what, what is the bad news? because you have to acknowledge this, and, and some of the people in this room know what the bad news is, and, and they've acknowledged it, but the bad news is this. One is we're all sinners. We are all sinners. Jono is a sinner. I am a sinner. Romans 3.23, New Testament, Romans says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all missed the mark. This morning, I can tell you, I have already missed the mark, but praise God for grace, right? Second thing, the penalty of sin is what? Death. The penalty of sin is death. See, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin, sin we've already established, each one of us sins, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing we can do can get back out of death, right? Once you're dead, you are dead. So that's the bad news. We've established it. We're all sinners. We've established that because, sinner, because we're sinners, we will die. We'll be separated from God for eternity. But here's the good news. The good news, and this is just not good news, this is great news, this is the best news this world ever received, and this is, what this is, is that God stepped into his creation, he stepped into his creation for us, and what did he do? He died for us. He died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us. God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve that, but Christ did that. He did it because he loved us, and see, because he loved us and he died for us, the death on the cross is, is magnificent because it took the weight of the world and my sins on his shoulders. But, but the thing that was just, um, it just, was just awesome, no one could understand, is that he resurrected himself from the grave three days later. See, and that is where he conquered death at that point. And see, and then we get to this point. 
The last thing is you can be, you can be saved through faith in Christ. That's it. See, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, because we couldn't do it on our own. It is the gift of God, not by works, at least any man should boast. See, we can depend on Jesus to forgive us and give eternal life versus eternal death. That is the gospel. Christ came, he died for us because he loved us. And guess what? It is a free gift that we all have access to. With that being said, um, sorry, I needed my sweet tea. Um, it's really just getting dry. <laughs> um, let's pray. Lord, David wrote to you and said this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was bought, brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I know that you have the power to cleanse my heart and wipe away my sins. And I ask you that you move in the hearts, in my heart, and in the hearts of those here at Ladysmith as we take time to read over and look at your word. Allow us to open, to be open, to be uncomfortable, and to be willing to learn and teach those around us. I ask you to be with our children in the back. And God, I ask that the word of God would pierce their hearts and save many. I also ask that you'll be with the lost and persecuted people around the world. God, raise up people who explain the gospel and create further converts. With all the glory and praise in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so last week, Ken had his kind of his, 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 uh, his sermon that he did, and, and, uh, and we're going to go right back into Acts. So if you were here two weeks ago, um, gosh knows, I feel like for the last year we've been walking through Acts with some breaks, uh, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, uh, starting with verse 24, and we're going to end in 19, verse 10, so I'm going to read. <clears throat> now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the ways of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrated by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not ever heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were with them all about twelve men. And he entered the synagogue and continued to speak, speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the people he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here's my big idea. Nope. There we go. Sorry, I wanted to be really dramatic. Everyone needs to be willing to be discipled and to disciple those God put around us. God's will for your life is fulfilling the Great Commission. God's will for your life is making disciples. Guys, that's why we exist here at Ladysmith, right? What's it say? We exist to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to the Great Commission. His Great Commission was to go and make disciples of all nations. That was Jesus' last commandment. Last word of advice to his disciples is go and make disciples. So we're reading this, and this guy comes on the scene. His name's Apollos. What do we know about Apollos? Well, in Scripture, it says this. He says that he was a highly educated individual that came from Alexandria. So Alexandria we, is in Egypt, and when I think of Egypt, I think of Cairo and the pyramids. Alexandria was on the sea. It was actually the um, kind of the Roman head of that area. Um, Obviously, Rome kind of controlled the majority of the world at that time in the Mediterranean. And in that city, there was about a million Jews lived there. A million Jewish people lived in Alexandria. And not only were there a million, million Jews, they were really famous for their universities and their libraries. Some of their libraries contained over 700,000 books. Um, and this is where Apollos was from. He was highly educated, and it was a very prominent place to be from. He is well-spoken, and he's eloquent. So he obviously was refined, he's educated, and now he's on the scene. I want to push pause and say a couple of things I love that Luke highlights, uh, highlights about this, uh, about Apollos. See, God used, in this situation, a highly educated man here. And why do I think that's neat? Because I look back at the Gospels, I see the disciples. And you know what I don't see? I don't see highly educated people. I see people who actually flunked out of school in some regards. Because a lot of the boys, as they're, as they're progressing in their studies, their goal is to become like a Pharisee. And, and they didn't make it. Some of these guys were extremely blue-collar, but you know what they had in common? They were willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. I also want to talk about the fact that he spoke with eloquence. They talk about how well he spoke, how he was persuasive in the synagogue, how people probably just lined up to listen to him speak. I know people like that. People will tickle your ears sometimes, and they just have the right words to speak at the right times. But then I step back, and I realize that as I'm reading this, I'm like, you know, that's not typical either all the time. I mean, Exodus 4.10 is where Moses is pleading with God about being used because he has trouble speaking. Moses, the guy who led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and led them to the promised land, he had trouble speaking. Right? And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul comes out and said this. I said, I didn't come to you with superior, superiority of speech or with wisdom. Right? Apollos was eloquent. Apollos was polished. But God doesn't always use those kind of people. And the Bible's great about saying that there's multiple ways that you can be used by God. You don't have one specific type. See, I wrote this down. It says God does not have a type a person. God does not have a color of person. He doesn't have a background he's looking for or a lineage he's looking for. All that he's looking for are those people willing to put it all on the line and proclaim the good news either as a tent maker or as a preacher from the pulpit. No matter what we look like, 
for what God has called us to do, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Right? This doesn't make me any better than anybody else. What I do in my professional life doesn't make me any better. What I look like doesn't make me any better. Where I come from doesn't make me any better. The only thing that makes me anything at all is when I sit at the foot of the cross and I put my head down and say, Jesus, use me. So what it says here is Apollos knew only of the baptism of John. I read that. I was like, man, what does, what does that mean? So I had to do some, some research. So this is what I know. Apollos accepted John the Baptist's message that the Messiah was coming. He even believed that Jesus was the Lamb of God and the Messiah. He surely spoke with force and persuasion about the scriptures that all pointed to Jesus. But he did not understand the significance of Christ's death and his resurrection. Nor was he acquainted with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church at Pentecost. Think of these massive rocks that, that Apollos didn't know, but he was still willing to preach the Messiah and preach what John the Baptist had taught. In short, I'll say this, he was a redeemed Old Testament saint. He was saved by what he knew, but he was not called a Christian yet because he didn't know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once again, how often do we sit in churches, do we sit in our communities, and we don't talk about the resurrection, and that's all these guys were talking about, if they knew it. They knew this was massive. This was different than anything else that anyone had ever come to this earth and done. There were lots of people who came and they preached. There were people that proclaimed the Messiah, but guess what they didn't do? They didn't raise themselves from the dead, okay? This is what Paul preached. Paul preached the resurrection everywhere he went. He knew the importance of it, right? Paul understood it. The disciples understood it. Paul, as Rick was saying, spent some time with these people, Priscilla and Aquila, and I guarantee you one thing that Paul kept pushing home, my Messiah was resurrected. My Messiah is not in the tomb. My Messiah is ascended to heaven, and that's what I believe, and that's what I put my hope in. So my question, one of the things I had to ask myself is, why don't I preach that? Why don't I talk about that enough? I want to talk about the good things I do. I want to talk about the good things that I can help you with, how the church helps you, but what about the fact that the man that I follow is in a tomb? I can guarantee you all the other religions around the world, their guy that they follow, he's in a tomb. He did not come back. The next part of the story that I want to sit and park with for a minute is Priscilla and Aquila, right? We know here that Priscilla and Aquila, we, we know a little bit about them from, from the fact that they were with Paul, and they moved, they moved on to another town. They were mobile, right? They loved Jesus. They heard Apollos talking in the synagogue, so they were there, right? They're, they're in the synagogue. They're with other people who, who are believers. They're hearing this person who's persuasive and eloquent of speech, and as they're listening to him, they're going, man, something's not right. This guy's got a lot of the pieces right where they need to be, but he's missing that center cog, right? He, he's he's going to fall apart if he doesn't understand this part of, of what, the, he needs to be, the, what he needs to know. And um, so they took him aside, right? They took him aside, and they, they explained the way of the Lord more, more accurately to him. See, they understood what discipleship looked like and the necessity to do it. They understood what discipleship looked like from what Paul was, had done with them. So what do they see? They see a person who is obviously speaking and doesn't understand everything about the Messiah, so they take him aside and they begin to educate him, right? They took him aside. This, this couple, these Christians, took an interest in Apollos that was sincere. They could have said nothing, right? They could have stood up and humiliated him right in the middle of the synagogue. 
They could have marked him as a false teacher in front of others, or they could have done absolutely nothing and just let him go on his way. But they didn't take any of these immature approaches. They didn't do anything that would not glorify God. And they saw that God had put this man in front of him and had an audience, and they needed to educate him, and they wanted to do it in a loving way. They went directly to Apollos, and they taught him something he didn't know. And the outcome was good for everybody, right? And it was pleasing to God. See, to me, it sounds like they took him and they brought him to their home, which would make sense from what we heard about a, a Priscilla and Aquila from, from two weeks ago, where they were hospitable. And part of being hospitable is bringing people into your home and like, just sharing your life with them, right? It sounds like they brought him into them, to their home based on context. See, they taught him the truth concerning the Messiah's atonement, death, and resurrection. They discipled Apollos. Get this, tent makers discipled a scholar. Tent makers discipled a scholar in the way of the Lord. Now, first things first, Apollos had to be humble, right? He had to be humble, and he had to desire the truth. It is difficult for us when we perceive people to be smarter than us or not as smart as, uh, as us to kind of learn from each other, right? But guess what? God doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care how much you educationally know. He cares that you know him, Amen. right? That is what is important. But here's a big question that I took away from last week when I heard, I heard Ken talk about obey, obeying God and abiding in the word. What does it mean when we abide in his word? Well, one thing it means to me is that we follow Jesus' commandments. And his last and final commandment to his disciples was what? It was to make disciples. See, are we seeking to be discipled or to disciple others? I would unfortunately have to say no. And not with much tenacity if we do. Why is that? Because we're busy. We are really busy, aren't we, guys? I can tell you that I, I was gone for six days, came home at two in the morning, one in the morning, got up the next day about six o'clock when your kids wake up. They want to see you because they haven't seen you. I love my wife. You, you did a great job last week, but you know what? They're, you know what? It's tapping out. <laughs> You're like, give me a break, right? We're busy. Here's one, I'm lazy. I can be lazy. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to share my life with a ton of people if I don't have to. Why is that? For the most part, I don't want people to know my garbage. I don't want people to know my baggage. I'm not, I don't have it all squared away all the time. Here's one, I'll disciple. I'll disciple when I know the Bible better. When I know it just right, that's when I'm going to start, start to disciple because then I feel like I'm, I'm confident in myself. Let me tell you when that's going to be. Never. You'll never get there. We're always learning. I don't want to be let down by others. I don't want to pour into somebody and they just walk away. It's a waste of my time. Think about that. We get let down by people all the time. The only person who's not going to let you down in this life is Jesus right? I've done this in the past, and the other person's faded away, like I just said. Let me tell you something. You will always make excuses. I make excuses. These excuses are my excuses, right? You may have your own. I make excuses as to why I can't, don't want to obey this. But here's a trump card as a believer in Christ. The creator of the world and my Savior, I have committed my life to him, and it doesn't matter what I, what I want. If I truly gave my life to him, 
then I need to be doing what he says, right? I need to be following his commandments. See, he instructed and commanded us to do what Priscilla and Aquila did. What was that? Stop everything. Stop what you're doing and make disciples. See, discipleship is, is not new, but we've termed it different terms based on where we are. We love mentorship. We love apprenticeship, right? We love these things in our workplace. Why is that? Because you're always grooming that next person to come up, right? You're grooming someone to take your spot or you're bringing someone along because guess what? In my, in my work, if I don't do that, then things don't get done, the people don't get paid, and they get really mad, right? You will always find out that you're grooming someone for multiple reasons. One, you're not going to be there. You're going to hopefully take a vacation. Or two, you're going to get a promotion, okay? We do that intentionally in our workplace, but why is it so difficult for us to do it in a church? Why? Why is it so difficult when it's what our commander, it's what our Savior told us we had to do? If it was the last thing that he was willing to tell his disciples, go and make disciples, don't you think it's something we should listen to? And I hate to break this to you guys, Rick can't disciple every man in this church. And guess what? Michelle can't disciple every female in this church. It's not reasonable. It's not practical. It's not biblical. And to add to the bad news, learning from the pulpit isn't discipleship. Sitting in these chairs is not being discipled. Being discipled takes place in intimate settings with people who are willing to lock arms and walk with crap with you walk with your crap, and you walk with my crap, and we get through it. Rick's big question from two weeks ago is this. Are you doing your part to advance God's kingdom? Are you doing your part to advance God's kingdom? God had one big thing we should do to advance his kingdom, and that's making disciples. For practical application, I see five stages of discipleship, right? These five stages of discipleship are something that, that are kind of made in the life cycle of a human, Right? And so as you look at this life cycle of a human, just because you're an adult or for your kid or you're a middle-aged or you're a teenager doesn't mean you automatically fit into these spots. It's based on your spiritual maturity. The second thing is this. The amount of time you've spent in a church building or in these chairs does not determine your spiritual maturity. Okay? That is not determinative. Let me walk through these. And I want you to, when I walk through them, think about where you might fit into this. Okay? One is this. You're spiritually dead. Guys, we had, we had people up here who were spiritually dead a couple weeks ago. They're not anymore. Praise God, they're not anymore. These people do have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those people need people to share the gospel with them. They need people to step out of their comfort zone and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Second, second level, if you will, is an infant. These people have made the decision to follow Jesus. They're either brand new believers or longtime Christians who have remained stagnant in their faith. At this time, they need the truths of the Christian faith taught and modeled for them. They need to develop new habits that form new patterns for living as a follower of Christ. Number three, it's a child just walking around that life cycle, right? A child, people at this stage are continuing to grow in their relationship with God, and they're beginning to grow in their relationships with other Christians as well. They need to be taught who they are in Christ and how to have close relationships with other believers and what to expect from Christians. At this stage, it's, it's important to you know these two things. 
they're going to come to the understanding that there's no perfect Christians, right? Because guess what? I'm not perfect. Rick's not perfect. Matt's not perfect. Kenny's not perfect. Jose's not perfect. Michelle's not perfect. We're all sinners. Like I said before, we need Christ to redeem us, right? Every day we need to be giving it back to God and saying, I can't do this without you. There's no perfect Christians. Level four, young adults. 1 John 2, 13 through 14 kind of describes this, and it says that they have overcome the evil one, and the word of God abides in them. Spiritually young adults are making the shift from being self-centered, self-centered all about themselves, to being centered on God and on people, essentially God's mission. Right? You're moving from a, an area that's all about myself to an area that's about loving God, loving others. That's what a young adult is. These people in the young adult phase need a place, need a place where they can learn how to serve. Okay? They need a spiritual mentor who will coach them and debrief them on what the Word of God says. They need to be going into they need to have ongoing relationships with people who offer encouragement and accountability. They need to be in a small group. Any one of these people need to be in a small group. But these people, as a young adult, you are right there. You're right there. About, you're right there. You're being groomed to become a parent. A parent. People in this stage are what I call spiritually mature. And spiritually mature people make disciples. That's what they do. They are making disciples with their lives. They are engaged in relationships with the intent of making disciples. This was the hard truth for me as I'm reading through this, is people who think that they're parents and think that they're spiritually mature and you ask the question, who are you discipling? And the answer is no one. You're not a parent. You're a young adult. The key concept of a spiritual parent is the mindfulness of the needs of the less mature disciples. Think about that. As a parent, you're going back and you are preaching the gospel to the spiritually dead. You are investing in infants. You are raising up child, children, and you are making young adults into other parents so that they can be birthed out and have other disciples. See, what stage are you in? In each one of those stages, I mean, I'm not saying you have to stay in a stage forever. The goal is to progress, right? Our goal as Christians is to become more Christ-like. That's the goal. The goal is to not stay where we are and be comfortable where we are in our lives. The goal is to sit there and do what our commander says, right? The commander's intent was to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and yet sometimes we want to stick right in this child stage or this young adult stage because it's more comfortable. It's easier, but that's not, that's not the goal. See, the beauty of this is that where we are going, and if we look around this room, we can all help each other grow. This isn't a one-off mission where it's just me going. It's all of us together, locking arms, moving forward. Continuing the text, we see that Apollos was called to move on from Ephesus. The beauty of this is that the believers went ahead and called ahead and said, hey, guess what? Apollos is coming. They sent words of encouragement to him and set the stage for his ministry to advance there. See, one of the beauties of discipleship is that we understand that we can't stay together forever. And at times we advance the kingdom by moving out and leaving those we care about because that's what God's called us to do. Sometimes that's in the context of a small group. You get into a small group, and we, sometimes we've got dynamic small groups, and you've got relationships that are so key and critical. And if you don't know what a small group is, a small group is just a, a couple believers that come together, and, and we do life together. We teach, we live the word of God together. And after a season of time, hopefully that small group is maturing. And at, at, at a point, you're really comfortable. Guess what God's probably doing in your life? 
He's getting ready to take you out of that small group and put you somewhere else. Sometimes it means that we go plant churches. Sometimes we leave our, comf- our comfortable spots in these chairs, and God calls you to go somewhere else to plant the gospel, to, to, to preach the gospel and spread the gospel. Just like Apollos was doing. Apollos didn't stay still. One of the beautiful things that we can see is, we, see, we have the ability to kind of have a 360 view, Old Testament, New Testament right here. They didn't, obviously, because they were writing it. Um, at the time, in, in the town that Apollos was traveling to minister is most likely, the, most likely the town mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.6, New Testament, 1 Corinthians. And, it's, and it says this, it says, I planted, meaning Paul went there and spread the gospel, right? Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So the beauty of what Priscilla and Aquila were able to do in the setting is they were able to help fulfill God's plan by discipling Apollos, who then went behind Paul and ministered to those that Paul had preached. See, I think of this as like a great opportunity and a great just affirming, because this is not something that that I'm used to doing. This is not something that I do all the time, but God uses all of us in different ways. And just because you're not raised to the level of human, like, uh, that people see you and know your name, God knows. And God knows what you're doing. And you may be this step. You know, you know what I don't know? I don't know, and maybe some of you guys do, I don't know who ministered to Billy Graham. I don't know who his Sunday school teacher was when he was in sixth grade. But you know what he does? You know what God used that Sunday school teacher, that person that discipled him, to change millions of lives? Sometimes we often look for, like, human uh, appreciation, human um, people to raise us up, but God is looking at us going, thank you. Thank you for being a faithful servant. So 19, Luke, Luke flips the location of the story back to what Paul is accomplishing as he passes through Ephesus, and what does he look for when he gets there? He looks for disciples. Paul, everywhere he's traveling on his mission trips, look for, looks for opportunities to minister and disciple believers in Christ. See, and as he finds these disciples, Paul asks some qualifying questions, right? Paul asks questions to determine where these men are on their spiritual journey. Paul's setting the stage. He's saying, where are they? Are they infants? Are they children? Are they young adults? Or are they parents? And what he finds out is, he finds out where they are. So Paul meets them where they are and begins the discipleship process. Once he understands their spiritual position, he meets them. And we see that Paul spent time with these disciples. Guess what? He's living with them. He's teaching them. And for the next two years, spent his time investing in these men, right? It's not easy. It's not a week. It's not not just a couple hours. It is literally days, months, and years of his life that he said, this is what I'm called to do. See, Paul understood the command of Jesus and worked to fulfill his duty by not only teaching, but by intentionally discipling men around him with the word. Paul understood the commandment of discipleship and and was an example of that. Let's say if we look back, we realize that, Paul wasn't, if, for those of you who don't know, Paul wasn't around the person of Jesus Christ. He was saved, radically saved after Christ had died on the cross and ascended into heaven, okay? Paul was living, but he did not know the person of Jesus Christ and wasn't discipled by him. But here's what we know is that Paul was discipled by a man named Barnabas, okay? He was discipled by Barnabas. And then Paul then saw what he was learning, understood the context of what discipleship was being asked of him, and he disciples Timothy, Right? This is, if you go in the New Testament, there's two letters that he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. But Paul not only disciples Timothy, we see that Paul has discipled many other men on the way. That was part of what he was called to do. 
And I think this is important. Let me drive this point home. Not every Christian has the gift of leadership, but every believer is supposed to make disciples. Do you get that? Not every leader is going to be up here. Not every leader is going to be teaching, but every person in the church is called to make disciples. It wasn't like you got to get at a jail card. This is what you're called to do. This is what we're called to be in a relationship with other believers. For me, I think this is important for me to kind of unpack this for you. For me, what it looks like is I'm focusing on discipleship in my home. My kids, my wife. I've got a small group. I try desperately hard to disciple the people in my small group, but you know what else? I'm getting discipled from them as well. I'm learning as much as I'm pouring out. But what I can tell you is, is another good example. In the past, I had an opportunity to disciple a bunch of high school boys. And it was a couple years that, that I was able to be there. And was it hard? Yeah. It was hard sometimes because they didn't have the best attention. And they definitely um, had a lot of things on their mind that wasn't the Bible. And I didn't live close. I lived in Fairfax and they lived in Spotsylvania County. And I drove every Monday night to see them because there was an opportunity. And it was hard. But did God work through those members? And that, did, he walk, did he work through what I was doing? Absolutely. Were there moments or seasons that were tough? Yeah. There were really tough moments. There were moments when you have guys in the group who'd leave the faith, who'd walk away, who wouldn't, wouldn't want to begin engaged anymore. You had moments when people would sit there and we had to bury one of those guys. This is hard stuff. But was it worth it? Absolutely. I, I sat there and, and had an opportunity to be um, in one of their weddings. And at the wedding, he, uh, he said, you know, I would not have been able to be the husband I'm going to be or sexually pure for my wife without your teaching. I said, it wasn't my teaching. It was just me literally just giving you what the Bible says. And oftentimes I felt like I was failing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was consistent. And that's sometimes what discipleship looks like. Just consistently being there and consistently loving the people that God has called you to love. And guess what? It may not be the people that you want to disciple. Sometimes God brings you people in your life and puts you around people, and you're like, gosh, this is not who I want to disciple. I want to disciple that guy. And you know what? That's who God's called you to, and that's where you have to be obedient to God. So what I say, was it worth it? Every discipleship relationship that I've been in, it's 100 times worth it. Maybe not in the moment does it look like that, but looking back, it is. Now, like I said, my focus is on my family, and a couple of men in my community. Do I need to do better? Yeah, I do. I need to do a lot better. Do I need to be pushed and held accountable? Absolutely. That's what it is. Accountability is critical in this area. So I'm trying to wrap this all up. And um, I think it's appropriate because I see these these people who gave their lives to Christ and they end up being baptized and, and proclaiming to all of you that, hey, listen, I have turned my life, given my life to Christ, and I'm asking you to help me along this way, right? These people who I got baptized and other people around this room 
Being baptized is an amazing profession of your faith to the congregation, to your fellow believers. But guess what? The next step is discipleship. The next step is to say, who am I going to walk with? And the next step is for you mature believers out there to sit there and go, who am I going to walk beside? Who am I going to engage with? And guess what? At some points, this is going to be a DTR. It doesn't always, uh, sorry, sorry, let me me rephrase that. DTR, define the relationship. I learned that in high school because oftentimes you had a lot of friends and you thought you were dating, but you weren't, and you had to define the relationship. So (laughs) defining the relationship, DTR, um, you have to make it somewhat official, right? It may automatically happen, but there's a point you go, hey, listen, I'm going to disciple you, or hey, would you mind discipling me? Would you mind helping me along this road? So here's the big question, and I, and, I, and I urge you, I urge you to think about this because this is critical. The big question is this, who are you discipling? Think about that. Who are you discipling? Because if God commanded that from us, and if that's the last thing that he commanded, and if you're familiar with military terms, that's the commander's intent, is for us to go make disciples of all nations, who are you discipling? Or here's a better one, who is discipling you? Who are you willing to be discipled by? Are you bold enough to step into a relationship that God has called each of us into? Are you? It's not easy. You air out dirty laundry. But is it worth it? It's absolutely worth it. That was what you see Paul doing. That's what you saw. Jesus modeled this for us. That's why he knew it was so important, right? He took men, he took 12 men and said, these are my disciples, right? He had a lot of other followers, but he had 12 men, and of those 12 men, he had four that he just poured into and poured into and poured into. Why? Because he knew that's what they would do, because he knew that's how his kingdom was going to be proclaimed. He knew that we would do it. We're the conduit that God uses in this world. So I just ask you, look around this room There are men and women who love Jesus, but we are called to be disciples. We're called to be disciple makers. We are called to be under, we are called to lock arms together and walk through this life, proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know it. Let's pray. Dear God, God, you're a good God. Lord, this, um, this passage was for me as much as it was for uh, anyone else in this room. Discipleship's hard. It's messy. But it's good. Lord, I pray that you'll work in the hearts of these men and women in this room, God. I pray that you will just break down barriers. God, that you will just open up hearts. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't understand or know or know you as a as their personal lord and savior one that has conquered sin and death that today is an opportunity that they could that they could know you god this would be an opportunity today that maybe those who aren't in a discipleship relationship or have a desire to be in a discipleship relationship could move in that direction God, I know your Holy Spirit is here, and I know that it is working amongst people's hearts. I know that you are drawing people to you, God. And I just pray that we are 
open to that and that we, if we're moved, God, that you, if anyone's moved in this room, God, that they will just uh, come forward and talk to somebody. At the end of the service, God, there are going to be people down front. I pray that if people feel the, feel the pull of you, the tug, on, the tug on their heart, that they come down front. Lord, you are good. You are holy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.